Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 28. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and bills of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. And then Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Amen. Thanks for reading. Hey, guys, it's good to see you tonight. I'm Jacko, um, the one who Tyler's just been talking about. Um, as, as Tyler started talking about me, I'm going, oh, can you not talk about me again? Like, I'm, I'm not saying it was unhelpful, but I'm just like, I just want to... I just want to talk about Jesus, right? Um, so please uh, have open in front of you God's Word um, in whatever form you can find it, uh, either in the Bible that you'll find in the seats around you. Um, and we're going to be drilling into Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, the second reading that uh, Tyler brought us tonight. Uh, tonight we're thinking about one of my favourite uh, subjects, which is church community. Um, what happens when God's grace, God's powerful Holy Spirit crashes into the lives of real people and what it does in then establishing the church. So it's going to be great. Um, Let's pray and ask God that he would work mightily through us and his word tonight. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Father, we have in front of us tonight this really delightful picture of your church working really well. Uh, Lord, we see what happens when your Holy Spirit comes and changes lives and brings people together. And we pray, Father, that that same Holy Spirit that formed this early church that is forming us, uh, Father, we pray that Spirit uh, would be at work tonight. Father, would you change us? Uh, We would hear you speak to us tonight. Father, would you address us as individuals and as a church where we need to be spoken to tonight? So, Father, encourage us, uh, correct us, comfort us, challenge us. Uh, Father, so that we together become the church that you want us to be in a church that models to the world around us uh, what it looks like to to know Jesus, to be uh, loved by Jesus. And uh, Father, we pray that we'd be a little bit more like this church we see before us tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Most of the time, uh, if I speak personally, most of the time I really like to come to church. Um, I really find it encouraging, but there are some times when I don't like to go to church. Um, I'm sorry about that. Um, there are times when, um, most of the time, I love to go to church. I love because I'm encouraged often when I go to church, uh, but sometimes I'm not encouraged when I go to church, and I don't like that. Sorry about that. But I take it, unless you're a whole lot godlier than me, that perhaps is like something you can share, where sometimes you like to go to church, sometimes you don't, sometimes you go to church and you're encouraged, but sometimes you're not. Um, sometimes church is good, sometimes church just kind of totally lets us down. I mean, it's hard, isn't it, to, to walk out of the gathering when perhaps you've been on an overseas journey and you're kind of jet-lagged, or the kids have had you up all night and you're just like desperately trying to stay awake. Like, that's sometimes hard to enjoy church, right? It's hard to walk out of church kind of delighted and on cloud nine when someone said something quite insensitive to you. Maybe it was the preacher, maybe it was the person sitting next to you, but it's, it's hard, isn't it? Or or when, maybe personally in my experience, when you're sitting through and the whole gathering, all you can hear is that screeching pitch of your child screaming and you think, wow, that's so nasty, I reckon it's going to like fracture the glass of the creche room. Um, It's hard to enjoy church. There are those days, right, when I think it's harder to enjoy this thing called church, getting together. 
But they're just subjective things, right? And often they're kind of maybe connected to my personality or where we are at in the particular walk we're going on. How do you know then, right, objectively, if a church is good? How do you know objectively if a church is, perhaps for a better phrase, healthy? Well, before us tonight is a very brief but much-loved passage in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, showing us what a church looks like when the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ and the powerful Holy Spirit crashes in and is at work. It looks a bit like what we had read tonight, what Tyler brought, chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. If you're just joining us, we are in the book of Acts. Um, and in the last, over the last two weeks, if you've been around here, we've been kind of hanging out in this day that's called the Day of Pentecost, this unique, unrepeatable day in history. Um, there's only one. It'll never be repeated. It's happened. When Jesus poured out the long-promised Holy Spirit Uh, That was prophesied long ago, all the way through the Old Testament, particularly in Joel, that first reading we had, which was 500 years before Jesus came, um, poured out his spirit to renew his people and establish the church. And the chief outcome of that day, we thought about this over the last couple of weeks, the chief outcome of God pouring out his Holy Spirit on his people was that so God's people would now be able to speak boldly about Jesus Christ, courageously about Jesus Christ, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to Adelaide, to the ends of the earth. And, and the chapters, you know, this chapter, chapter 2, it's, it's memorable, right? It's full of memorable things. Tongues of fire, rushing wind that made a crazy noise, violent wind, people speaking in different languages from all over the world, declaring the magnificent acts of God, really dramatic. And then Peter stands up in just this powerful sermon, pointing everyone to Jesus. All the scriptures make Jesus, you know, it's all about Jesus. It was like extraordinary. And on that day, to top it off, 3,000 people repent and believe in Jesus. Like, it was just extraordinary. And yet, this little passage before us tonight, chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, where we see the church kind of like immediately after, it's spectacularly ordinary. Here we have the day after, perhaps the most unique day of history, and it's kind of pretty ordinary, yet it's really wonderful. Here is a church, we're told in verse 42, that were devoted to four things. And we're just going to go through them tonight, like these four things that they were devoted to. They're on the screen. Um, It's not complicated. Uh, This church, this early church, the day after the unique day of history, was devoted to the teaching and the learning to partnership, to to gathering and scattering, and to the prayers. Four things, we're just going to go through them tonight. Perhaps for you tonight, none of these are going to be particularly groundbreaking. Um, They're kind of simple, but I think massively significant. Um, So firstly, uh, they were devoted to the teaching and the learning. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, teaching people about Jesus. They were devoted to learning about Jesus. So this church, have a look, chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Yeah? So these these believers, right, these first believers didn't say, oh, isn't it cool, like the Spirit's now come, we don't need God's Word anymore, we don't need the Old Testament, it's all done. Nor did they say, even better, like, isn't it cool, we don't have to have a preacher anymore rattling on on a Sunday night for 45 minutes, isn't that great? And then they put Tyler, they're thinking, Tyler's out of a job. No more DGs. We don't need DGs. We've got the Spirit. We don't need the Word. We don't need preaching. We don't need the Word of God. They didn't say that. This church, first century, was not like anti-theology. They weren't anti-the Bible. They weren't just into kind of mystical experiences. Being filled with the Spirit meant that they were now devoted to the words of the apostles, the words that really form our New Testament, that second part of the Bible that's sitting on your pews or somehow on your phone. Um, So there they were, right, in Jerusalem, first century. You know, and Peter, Apostle Peter, former kind of the guy who three times denied Jesus and then was beautifully reinstated by Christ, sort of around a barbecue on a beach, John chapter 21, just beautiful stuff. Here's Peter, right, filled with the Spirit, and he would, like, in these gatherings, he would stand up, and for, like, two hours, he'd just preach. And then he'd sit down, kind of probably pretty exhausted, you know, going, wow, that was, I love that, and the people loved it. And then the crowd starts, we want James, we want John. Like, they, we want more. 
I don't know what order the apostles kind of stood up in, but I reckon that's how it would go. You know, and then James would stand up and he'd preach for another two hours. I think that's what's going on. 3,000 people are there at least. I don't think they'd squeeze into the temple in one go. So I reckon it's like shift after shift, apostle after apostle, just preaching and preaching and preaching. And the people are just like, wow, this is good. Give me more. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. We've heard this a few weeks ago. What was an apostle? Three qualifications to be an apostle. One who'd been with Jesus all the way through his earthly ministry, from baptism through to his death and resurrection. They'd witnessed, secondly, his resurrection. And thirdly, they'd been personally chosen by Jesus. Three qualifications. Seen Jesus resurrected, been with Jesus the whole time, and were personally selected by Jesus. We don't have, by the way, any apostles living today. Um, they, but they are unique. We have their words recorded for us in the New Testament. They were unique. Have a look at verse 30, 43, coming up on the screen. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs that were performed by the apostle. Because this is the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2 that we heard preached on a couple of weeks ago and we just had read out. Joel chapter 2, quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost. When the Spirit comes, there'll be signs and there'll be wonders, and the apostles are doing signs and wonders to authenticate their message. So here's the first mark of a healthy church. It's a church that's devoted to the teaching of the apostles that you and I now have as our scriptures, the, the New Testament. Let me push this a little bit further and say, without embarrassment, uh, without any awkwardness, that the public reading of Scripture and the Sunday sermon, wherever you get that, the Sunday sermon, when we gather, they are the most important things that you can hear in any week. I say that without embarrassment, without any awkwardness. The most important thing you can hear in your week is the reading of Scripture and it being preached publicly. You know... I'm not here all that much, but as, as long as you're coming along and, and you're hearing those things, that's the most important thing. Because it's not so much Simon Jacko preaching or Tyler preaching or Josh or anyone else preaching. It's you, you come to hear the very word and heart of God spoken out loud as God himself addresses us through the words of his apostles, bringing it home by the powerful Holy Spirit. There's nothing else like it. And brothers and sisters, we need that. We need it. Because this is in the Word of God. When you come along tonight, what you get is reality and truth kind of coming together. The Word of God, as it's taught, tears down the lies that you and I would speak to one another or ourselves. The lies that the devil puts into our heads. You know, you're, you're not worth anything, Jacko. You know, you're too sinful for God to love you. Like all those lies that we tell ourselves that this is all that we're living for, this world. You know, or perhaps it's the lie that you think you're the most important person on planet Earth. That's a helpful thing to hear that, no, you're actually not. It tears down the lies that we tell ourselves, cuts through the propaganda that we hear all the time from our culture, the things we read. I'm told by those who know more about this than me that every day, right, we receive 2,000 like subliminal messages coming at us from all different angles, telling us who we should be, what we should invest in, where we should go, what really matters, what makes you a human. Some of them are overt. A lot of them are just kind of things we pick up on the way. We need the Word of God because the teaching of the Word brings us truth and reality like nothing else does. So when God's people gather together and God addresses them, it's perhaps the most important 45 minutes that we all listen to in a given week. You see, this church, right, was not willing to pull apart the Spirit of God and God's Word. They held the two things together. A Spirit-filled believer is a person who is obsessed with and devoted to the Word of the Apostles. I hope you can see why that is. Because when God addresses us through his word, by his spirit, it's actually his grace to us. It's his kindness. It's his generosity. God says, here in the word of God, here is truth. Here is life. Here is what you need to know. And I'm saying it with authority. 
You know, if you lose that, and heaps of churches around the world and heaps of churches in this city have lost that, they're lost. They've abandoned the word of God, and so they now ask questions like, oh, I wonder what God's doing in the world today. You know, what's the Spirit doing in the world? Is the Spirit saying, oh, we're all bound together by one great big earth force? Maybe the Spirit's saying that there is no difference between Christianity and Baha'i and Hinduism and Islam and, and Buddhism. Is that what the Spirit's saying today? You see, if you pull these two things apart, the Word of God and the Spirit of God, you know what you end up with? You end up with a religion of works. It's up to us to engage in this quest to find out what really is true. It's a religion of works. But if you hold them together, the Word of God and the Spirit of God, it's grace, yeah? Here I am, says God. Here is what you need to know. You don't need to search for it. I'm telling you, it's a gift. It's, it's my grace. You don't have to pay for it. It'll change you. You've got to hold these two things together. This is God addressing us, creating life in us, transforming us, confronting us, repairing us, rebuilding us to be more and more like Jesus. So you see, a healthy, spirit-filled church is devoted to the words of the apostles and is transformed by them because through them, God's powerful spirit is at work making us more and more like Jesus. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Secondly, they were devoted to who? The partnership. They were devoted to the partnership. Here's this, I kind of call it a bit of a creepy Christianese word, fellowship. Um, you know, like I think of fellowship of the ring, Lord of the Rings or something. But apart from that, we never use it, right? It's a bit of a creepy Christian word. But that's why I've called it partnership. But have a look, chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. I've gone with partnership because I think it better captures what's kind of going on, especially what you see them doing in verses 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Like, you read that, right, and you've got to go, wow. But that's pretty amazing, right? That's incredibly generous. Notice a few things here. It's occasional. It's voluntary giving for the relief of a particular need. It's voluntary, it's occasional, and it's for the relief of particular needs. So this is not talking about taking up the regular giving for the ministry of the temple back in the first century or church. Uh, They're all converted Jews at this stage in chapter 2 of Acts. They'd all be giving their 10% tithes. Um, This is additional to that. This is voluntary, it's occasional, it's for the relief of needs. You can imagine, right, all of a sudden there are 3,120 people meeting in the temple in Jerusalem. Like you've got apostles going, flipping heck, what are we going to do with this? This is quite a business. But one feature of the early church that we see in the opening chapters of Acts is that they have a radically different approach to money and possessions. Radically different. You know, take a look, if you flick forward in your Bibles, you'll find, go to chapter 4, verse 32, or you can just jump onto the screen, like, kind of, that's your cheat sheet, right? But if we flick it over, yeah, a little bit further along, uh, chapter 4, verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had, such that there were no needy persons Among them, and then verse 34, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. I mean, here is, right, the work of the Spirit, God's grace, causing ordinary human beings to have a radically different approach to their money and their possessions. Not ours, but God's. You know, as God forms this new community with this wonderful gospel message, with dramatic signs and amazing wonders, there's just this really gritty change in people, like street-level change, like pocket change, you know, like purse change. The gospel impacts not just the signs and the wonders and the dramatic stuff, it's this gritty, personal, relational thing that even gets into your wallet. Remember, this is not regular giving. This is not what we see here. This is voluntary. This is occasional for the relief 
of need. You know, and, and we think, wow, that's amazing. I've never seen anything like that. That must have been a profound moment. But I mean, I've, I've known people, right, who've, who've been blessed by God in such a way that they've been able to use what they have in order to purchase a house for missionary organisations. So that when missionaries who are serving, you know, all over the world, when they come back, you know, on furlough to have a rest, to catch up with their supporters, they have somewhere to live. People just said, I'll, I'll buy you a house. That's occasional, that's voluntary, that's to relieve needs, both immediately and ongoing. I've known people who've you know, been in all kinds of situations. I need a car, I've got to get to work, my car's just died. I had a, you know, once Adele and I, right, we were living in Sydney, we were both students, um, we dined every night on pasta with basil pesto, um, and, and when it was, we were flushed with cash, we'd have basil pesto pasta and some cherry tomatoes chopped up in it. It's beautiful, you know. We had no car, we, we couldn't get around, and we met this Christian couple who said, we'll give you our car. And we're like, oh, that's very kind. And they just gave us the car. And they said, oh, when you finish with it, just give it to someone else. The car died, unfortunately, um, so we couldn't hand it on. But, but you know, that's, that's what's going on, right? This occasional, voluntary relief of need. And can I just say tonight, like, if you're here tonight and, and you are facing a, a particular need that there's something that's just a bill that's just arisen and you just go, wow, I don't know where that's come from, I need some help. If you're in a DG, can I encourage you to share that with your DG? You know, like just say, you don't don't have to grovel on your hands and knees, but just say, look, something's come up, I'm struggling to pay this bill, can we pray about it? And maybe can you help me out? You know, and if whatever that situation is, and the DG may be not in a situation where they can help cover that, that temporary relief, but if they can't do that, then please like, come and talk to me or come and talk to one of the staff, one of the elder candidates here at church, and just ask them, can you help me? Um, as, a, as City Light, as far as I know, I'm really new to this place. As far as I know, we're not flushed with cash. You know, like The staff team aren't heading off to Bali at the end of the year for a you know, kind of end of year. We're just going to go and have a snag, probably at Bunnings. I don't know. But um, <laughs> we're not flushed with cash, right? But we, we, we're Christians, right? We're generous people. We, we want to help. So please, don't, don't, if you have, a, if you have something, come, like ask someone. I think it's one of the works of the Spirit, right, is to not just enable us to be generous givers. It also humbles us where we actually go, I'm part of a family, I can ask. You know, so do without what you will, but, you know, let's, let's use one another and the gifts that God has given us. You know, and... and you know, to be honest, like, I think what happens is when, when we do see acts of rem- like remarkable generosity where people just step up to the breach and say, look, here's some money, like, this is going to help. You know, when I hear about that, I, I love what that person's done, but you know who I applaud? I applaud Jesus. Like, I just want to give him a round of applause because that's what it looks like when the Spirit of God, when the Spirit of Christ is at work in someone. I just go, praise Jesus. Good on you. It's evidence that God is at work. But what we see in Acts 2, here's a, it's a more general attitude. Money and possessions, they're not mine, they belong to God. I'm a steward of my iPhone, my iMac, my MacBook, my iPad mini, whatever, my income. All that I've got, it belongs to God. I'm a steward of it to use for his good. I'm not obliged to give it away, but I recognise maybe there's a good time to do such a thing. I want to use the resources God's given me to bless the people in my church and to give God glory advance his kingdom. So the church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to this partnership, you know, where they just shared stuff. Thirdly, they're devoted to the gathering and the scattering. They're devoted to sharing lives. They were devoted to gathering together in a place like this, in a big group. They're also committed to gathering around kitchen tables or in lounge rooms. It says in our text, the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the partnership, and to the breaking of bread. And in verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. I've said here they were devoted to the 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 gathering and the scattering that were devoted to the sharing of lives because I actually don't think here it's talking about the Lord's Supper. That's like it's an intuitive, I think, first reading. Oh, breaking of bread. That's when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. I actually don't think that's what is being talked about here. I might be wrong. 
There's no record in the first 200 years of the church ever using that phrase, the breaking of bread, connecting it to the Lord's Supper. Um, I think they're just like literally breaking bread to eat. They're just like, that's what you did in the first century when you had dinner together. You break bread and share it around. Maybe what we're going to do later on tonight is break some bread. The emphasis here is kind of sharing meals together, sharing life together, around kitchen tables, around lounge rooms. Here's a group of people committed to doing life together. I'm thinking in this gathering, there's rich people, there's poor people, there's educated people, there's not-so-educated people, there's you know, young, there's old, there's people from different backgrounds with different struggles, but they're together and they're breaking bread together. So yeah, they meet at the temple, but they meet for, informally in one another's homes. And, and, when, and for these people, right, when they gather together in each other's homes, in the lounge room, around the kitchen table, it's not just a dinner party to, to talk about which private school the kids are going to or, or how Richmond Football Club is going to win next year's premiership and things like that or, you know, the weather, I don't know. It's not just about that because verse 46, they broke bread in their homes, ate together, together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. So there's joy there, they're glad, there's thoughtfulness, it's really sincere, and they're praising God around kitchen tables. So here's just like a little encouragement to us as a church family as we share lives together, as we scatter into each other's homes. Sometimes we'll weep with those who weep, sometimes we'll mourn with those who mourn, sometimes we'll rejoice with those who rejoice. But the end goal is that we would praise God. That's the trajectory of the Christian life is to praise God. I don't want to embarrass these guys, but last night we had Sam and Ruth over for dinner. Everyone's welcome to my place, but we had these guys around for dinner last night. And there's this moment where we're sort of, like, it was, I'm really old, right? And so when it hit about 10.30, I'm like, I'm not participating in conversation, you know. I don't know if you noticed that, but anyway. Um, but I thought at the end, we should just sing Amazing Grace, you know? And talking about God, encouraging each other, we should sing Amazing Grace. We didn't, but I thought we should. That's the idea, that's the, tra- that's the trajectory of your life, right, is praising God. Joy, gladness, sincerity of heart and praising God. That's the trajectory of life. And can I say, right, this is my experience as a Christian, my experience as a leader of a church, I think more ministry happens around kitchen tables, around lounge room, in lounge rooms, next door through that wall when we have dinner a bit later, I think more ministry happens there than it really does when we gather together on a Sunday, like in this formal capacity. You know, again, I've only been around for a little while, but I've been in churches where we have midweek gatherings. And, and discipleship groups, they're not just like an add-on extra at City Light to what we do to kind of make us feel better about not just doing Sunday, but we put something else on in the week to kind of get us there. It's not an add-on extra. It's significant. I, my observation is that of equal value is the gathering around God's Word together in a gathering like this on a Sunday, but of equal importance is the gathering, perhaps even more, is the gathering around God's Word, around food, breaking bread, or under the apostles' teaching in homes, kitchen tables, and things like that. Can I encourage you, right? If, if you're not in a DG, Simon Jackson, you're not in a DG, get in one, yeah? Get in a DG. Um, you know, and another thought I had as well is often, maybe I'm speaking personally here as well, often I think we can think, well, I can't have people around to my home until. You know, so we haven't painted the house yet and it looks pretty daggy, there's paint chipping off the walls. I can't possibly have people from City Light North Adelaide around wow, that'd be awful. You know, or I've got to get Jamie Oliver's 30-minute meals. I've got to nail five of them before I can have anyone around because my cooking is just, oh, they won't be impressed with that. Can I just say, like, it's not, hospitality is not about impressing people. People don't come into your house because they want to be impressed. People come to your house because they're desperate for relationship. We've got an epidemic of loneliness in the world, in the West, Adelaide's not immune. We, 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 there are people who are desperately lonely. Loneliness, I believe, is like the second greatest killer of men in Australia because of the, the ramifications of loneliness. Like, let's, let's, 
Let's get into each other's lives and homes. Don't wait until you've got the house that looks like, you know, home beautiful on Friday nights or whatever it is. I don't know. Better homes and gardens. Because, well, if you're like me, that'll never happen. So let's not worry about impressing people. Let's just get in people's lives, encourage each other, praise God together. That's my third point. Um, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to partnership. They're devoted to the, the sharing of lives, the, the gathering and the scattering. And fourthly, they're devoted to the prayers. It's the last of the four. I've said the prayers because that's literally what it says in the original text. Uh, so verse 42 uh, they devoted themselves to prayer, just to get a bit Greeky and geeky. Sometimes grammar is good for you. Uh, there's a definite article before the word prayer in the original, which means the prayer. It's plural, so it means the prayers. Um, so they're devoted to the prayers. And the reason why I think it's different is we don't have a group of people here in the first century who go, well, let's, let's go away and we'll pray about that. Um, they were devoted to the prayers, as in like set times of prayer. Do you see the difference? Like, it wasn't like, oh, we've got a big issue, let's just walk away and we'll pray about that somewhere else. They, they gathered together for prayer. Set prayers, set times of prayer. They were devoted to the prayers, time of prayer. And certainly one of the marks of the early church was what I've called, pretty unsexy, together prayer. Together prayer. That's what they were committed to. There are references to this all the way through the book of Acts. Um, if you're a note taker, here they are. 1 4, 2 42, 4 24, 12 5, 13 2. You can go and listen to the recording later. It's emphasized, right, that they, they, they gather together to pray. And of course, Christians, we, we pray on our own, right? That's part of our life. We should be praying on our own. But the New Testament models together prayer. There's something important. That's what the Spirit filled church does. They do together prayer, it does together prayer as well as private prayer. Uh, the church that I've come from, we started a thing called the Boiler Room. Um, I ripped that off Charles Spurgeon. When Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, was leading a church, he had the Boiler Room, which was his prayer night. Every week, they'd gather together for prayer in the Boiler Room. And if you imagine a Boiler Room, like in a factory, it's where all the energy and uh, all, you know, where, the, where the factory was run from. And so they, they, he would gather in the Boiler Room for prayer. Every Monday night, we'd gather to pray. That's why I'm really encouraged um, by the ministry of prayer that's kind of happening here. It has been happening, but is now moved to here at 4.30 on a Sunday. Is that once a month? Sort of, roundabout, I don't know. Yep, yeah, 4.30, talk to Ruth, talk to Sam. They'll tell you more about it. Um, here's a quote from J.R. Mott. He was the leader of the YMCA movement in the US when it actually was an evangelical Christian movement. He won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1901 for his work on promoting peace and the gospel across campuses of the US. Here's a quote. It's easy to magnify human personality and agencies. Prayer recognises that God is the source of life and light and energy. Prayer is the source of light and life and energy. This early church was committed to together prayer because they humbly realise that it's God who is in charge of the mission. It's God's spirit they want to work and move and so they committed themselves to prayer. Now there are lots of things, right, that make for a healthy church and most of you, most of them you actually can't really measure. Like it's hard to measure like how many people, how often people are praying and it's hard to measure, you know, how many kind words people speak. It's hard to measure acts of mercy, like, and tally them up and sort of put a percentage. But two really easy ways to measure the health of a church, these are not infallible, but two really easy ways to measure the health of the church are these. How many people gather to pray? And how does financial generosity look like? What does it look like? Two easy markers. I don't, do anyone here like, get those requests in the mail like, to apply for a new credit card? Anyone get that? You know, like American Express handing you, yeah? Um, one of the things that I get is people asking me if I would like to consider a ministry job somewhere. Um, so I get these requests, hey, Simon, would you be interested in X, Y, and Z? Um, and if you show any interest, they then follow it up with like a parish or church profile, like a bit of a collection of information about the church, you know, giving you a snapshot, beautiful pictures of everyone looking like church is awesome all the time, you know, and, you know, it's all beautifully graphically designed and lots of stuff. And I get this, and inside it is like a profile of the passage, some, uh, the parish or the church, some numbers, um, to give a snapshot of what this church is about. 
Um, because I'm really, most of the time I just put him in the bin, right? Because I'm nosy and probably a little bit ungodly, um, I like to have a quick read. And the three things I look at are this. How many people go to the church? How many people go to the prayer night? And what giving's like? That's what I look for, three things. Um, it's very superficial. It's naughty, probably, that I would do that. But it's quite interesting. You know, so I'd look at one and go, oh, this is a big church. 500 people go there on a Sunday. That's pretty big. Oh, 25 people go to their prayer meeting every month. Mm, the giving's awful. Now, I know there are all kinds of terrible reasons, right, to measure the health of a church based on that, you know. But, but a big crowd, hardly anyone going to the prayer meeting, and it's a church full of professionals, and, like, they've, they've got no money. It's not very spirit-filled, is it? There are always reasons, you know, why people can't go to prayer nights, right? You know, if someone has to stay home with the kids, you're on a plane somewhere for a you know, for your work or, you know, it's a busy season in life. But here's an encouragement, church. Like, the early church was devoted to together prayer. It was important. Four things they were devoted to. The apostles' teaching, the teaching and the learning, to the partnership, to the, the sharing of life, to the scattering, to the gathering, and to together prayer. And look at the outcome. The Lord adds to their number. Verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wow. This brand new church, right, full of baby Christians. Heaps of stuff to sort out in their lives and what it looks like to follow Jesus. But they loved people. They loved Jesus and people came to love Jesus because of them. Empowered by the Spirit. I want City Light to be like this. I want City Light North Adelaide to be like this. I want Anchor Church in Port Adelaide to be like this. I want the Bay to be like this. We're, like, we're just so attractive to the outside world because we love people. We love Jesus. You know, this church wasn't merely inward-looking. It was outward-looking. They loved themselves, if that's the right phrase to say, but they loved other people as well, and so people were drawn into them. They clearly knew that others needed to know what they'd learned, that there was available in Jesus Christ the forgiveness of all your sins, that by trusting, repenting in Jesus and trusting in his finished work, you would have the gift of the Holy Spirit to enable you to trust Jesus from today till eternity. And so in verse 47, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Because, guys, the, the New Testament doesn't recognize a Christian who is saved but not added to a church. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're saved, you join a church. And when I read the New Testament, there's no such thing as an unchurched Christian. There are heaps of reasons why. There are reasons why people may not be able to kind of gather together with God's people. But as I read the New Testament, if you're saved, you join a church. Here we have a devoted church. Three things, three words that I want to use to wrap up tonight, sort of land the plane. Three words of this are challenge, encouragement, and hope. Challenge, encouragement, and hope. Do you want the challenge first? Let's do the challenge first. Um, here's a challenge. Before us tonight right, is this beautiful, lovely picture of the early church. Um, you know, most people read this, and I'm sure you're reading it going, wow, I'd love to be part of that church. That's a beautiful church. If only there was one like it, I'd be there all the time, every day. Like, that is a beautiful church. That sounds terrific. It sounds so good. But can I just say, this sort of church that we read of here in Acts 2, it takes commitment. It takes time. It, it takes a different attitude to how you use your resources, your, your time, your gifts, your diary, your money, your possessions. You have to work to be this sort of lovely, healthy church. You know, I was reminded recently of Mark chapter 10. It's the parable of the rich man who comes to Jesus, wants to become a follower of Jesus, and so asks Jesus, hey, Jesus, how do I do it? How do I become one of your followers? What does Jesus say? Oh, you've got to, like, give up everything. And the rich man just wanders away sad. Peter, bold, brash Peter. Peter reminds me, right, of an NRL player. Do you know NRL, National Rugby League, rugby players? Massive guys. 
all the courage on the outside you can possibly fathom, but particularly morally bankrupt on the inside. A bit like Peter, right, before he becomes uh, a bit filled with the Spirit. But Peter, right, jumps up and says, hey, Jesus, we've given up, we've given up everything to follow you. Aren't we awesome? That's what Peter says to Jesus. And then Jesus makes this comment. Truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. I take it, right? I don't know all of you, but I take it that not many of us here tonight have given up homes and brothers, and mothers, and fathers, and, and fields to follow Jesus. But, but some people do. You know, I, I think the challenge for you and for me, for us as a church, is this has to be true. That the person who comes to know Jesus, who's given up a whole lot, finds in the family of God's people something so much better. That's the challenge, I think, that Jesus makes. You know, so the person who's grown up in a Muslim background, who, by God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, comes to know Jesus, and the problem with that is his family now hates him. He's, he's left his family. He says to you, I no longer see my family. I can't go home. But in this present age, I have a hundred times better in the church family that I've been connected to. You know, and then eternal life. But in this present age, a hundred times better. Oh, it's painful, he says to you, because I'm persecuted not just by my family, but everyone else I've known in my whole life. You see, the church that we have painted in Acts 22 looks like this. They would welcome that person and they'd find a new family so much better. Oh, and the, there's the person, right? Maybe the person who comes out of a sexually promiscuous background turns to Christ and now finds they are called by God through the scriptures to live a celibate life. But their testimony can be, I'm not going to satisfy my sexual desires, but I'm not missing out. Because even now in this, this lifetime, I've got a hundred times better than now than when I, the way I was living before. You know, in a city like ours in Adelaide, where more people are becoming Christians from non-Anglo backgrounds, People becoming Christians from sexually debauched backgrounds. This has got to be true. That they can come to, to City Light, North Adelaide, and find in this family of God's people something so much better, something so much more satisfying than anything they've known before. I think it's impossible, personally, to live the Christian life without brothers and sisters in Christ. Particularly someone who's, people who come from really hard backgrounds. That's the challenge, isn't it, for us, to be that welcoming, to be that generous, to be that other person-centred. It's a challenge. That's the challenge, to be such a family that people just go, so good. Secondly, an encouragement. Um, I've got really no notes in front of me for this bit, but I just want to... The encouragement I want to share tonight is I just want to say to you guys here at City Light North Adelaide how much... I thank God for you. For, I don't know, I've not been here for very long, but I know that the last 12 months, couple of years, has been really hard. And I just want to say, praise God for the work that he's done in you and praise God for all the hard work that many of you have put in to make this church what it is today. I just want to celebrate how Christ has worked in you how you've gathered amongst one another and you've not had a lead pastor, but you've just gathered together, you've rallied and you've loved each other. And I particularly just want to praise and, and thank those whom I think they're called the staff team of City Light North Adelaide. It sounds weird because that makes me think they should be paid, but they're just volunteers. Um, I wonder if they'd stand up if you're on that staff team. Can I do that? Can I embarrass you in this way? Come on, stand up, yeah. Can we just give these guys a round of applause um, for the work they've done? Um, I, you can sit down now. You can say standing if you want, no. 
I hang out with these guys just briefly this afternoon. Just their commitment to, to seeing City Light, um, be healthy, love Jesus. That, that they did, they're working their butts off to make sure that no one just fall, kind of falls through the cracks. Um, they're helping you, empowered by the Spirit, grow to be more like Jesus. Um, let me just share this quote with you from Eugene Peterson. He's one of my heroes. He just recently went to be with the Lord. This is him talking about the church. It's just beautiful. Men and women are not admitted to the community by presenting credentials of love skills, nor do we maintain our place in the community by passing periodic peer reviews on love. We are here to be formed over our lifetimes into into a community of the beloved, God's beloved who are being formed into a people who love God and one another in the way and on the terms in which God loves us. It's slow work. We are slow learners And though God is unendingly patient with us, we are not very patient with one another. Outsiders observing our embarrassingly slow and erratic progress in love wonder why we bother. Well, we bother because God is love. He created us in love. He saved us in an act of love. He commanded us to love one another. Love is the ocean in which we swim. So what if many of us can only wade in the shallows and others of us can barely dog paddle for short distances? Whoop. We are learning and we see the possibility of one day taking long, relaxed, easy strokes into the deep. Isn't that beautiful? There's the encouragement, right? Thanks be to God for those who've worked, who work here on that staff team and the DG leaders who promote community. But it's a beautiful picture. We're all in this together. Swimming in the ocean of love. Some of us doggy paddling, some of us taking strokes, but we're all going to get there if we all love one another. Lastly then, there's an encouragement. Lastly then, hope. Um, these believers were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the partnership. They were involved, devoted to the, the gathering and the scattering. They were devoted to the prayers. The Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. And ultimately, this is Jesus' work. It's Jesus' work. And if you're visiting tonight and, and you think this church thing is kind of interesting, that's cool, or, Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian and you're thinking, wow, this is, this is very interesting, this Christian thing, this gathering thing they do. But let me just say, what we're doing here tonight, both here tonight and in our lounge rooms around kitchen tables, it makes no sense without Jesus. It makes no sense without Jesus. You know, you might look on at this thing called church and you think, why are they doing that? Why are they doing these strange things? Why would people sell their possessions? Why would people give away their cash? Why are they so obsessed with words that were kind of penned 2,000 years ago. Why would they pray? It makes no sense without Jesus. Perhaps even some of you here tonight, you're a Christian, and you might be thinking, Jacko, I don't feel devoted to any of those four things. Well, you need to pray that God, the Holy Spirit, would be more active in your life, giving you the strength to, to walk in step with him, to grow in love for the things that God loves. You need to spend more time with Jesus listening to his promises to you so that you can live this way. But it struck me, right, as we kind of wrap up, it struck me that life or church without Jesus is a little bit like observing a silent disco. Has anyone been to a silent disco before? Here's a picture of it. I've never been to one of these, right, but I've seen them. They're apparently taken off. Who's been to one? Yeah, a few. Hey, there we go. A few kind of keen beans. Um, at a silent disco, right, everyone's got headphones on, right? And, and people are kind of making a lot of noise because like, people are dancing and having a really good time. And the music is all being pumped through people's headphones, right? That's how they're all grooving. And then you, know, you walk in, right, and you're observing this room of 200 or so people like dancing and having a good time. And then all of a sudden they go, way, like all at the same time. And you think to yourself, why on earth are they doing that? You know, and this is really strange behaviour. And then, you know, why do they all cheer at the same time? I can't hear anything, but you're observing this really kind of weird thing. Why? Because they're all listening to the same thing. You may not hear it, but they're listening to the music. You know, and you can observe these four things. uh, Loving the teaching of the apostles, praying, giving, all these things. And why do people do that? But why do I feel like doing that? Why don't I feel like doing that if I'm a Christian? It's because you're not listening to the same thing as everyone else. You're not listening to Jesus. Without him, it's all a bit weird. 
It's quite nice. You, you, know, you might come to church and you see people enjoying themselves, singing some songs and eating some food, but you won't really get it without Jesus. And for those of us here tonight who are Christians and think, yeah, but devoted, Jacko, that sounds a bit, like, a bit over the top. That's a bit strong. I quite like the apostles' teaching. I don't mind the sharing of lives. You know, now and then I, I'll share my life. Oh, and yeah, I, I go to the prayers sometimes. That's enough, isn't it? Devoted. That's, that's a bit intense for the church in 21st century Adelaide. Well, to push the analogy a little bit further, you need to turn up the volume on Jesus. It's when the people heard of Jesus. It's when these people heard what he'd done for them. They said, what do we do? How do we live in response to this gospel, this Jesus? You see, there's hope. Go back to Jesus. For that's how we will become the church that is devoted. Get stuff wrong, yeah? We, we get stuff right. Plenty of reasons to be encouraged. But to grow ever more like Jesus, we must stay with him knowing that Jesus is radically devoted to us. Jesus is, after all, the hero of the community. He's the centre of our story. Let's pray and ask God to help us to become more like this church. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for this uh, picture tonight of the early church. We, we thank you, Father, for um, who they were, what you made them to be by your grace and through your spirit. We thank you that we see this church devoted to these things. And Father, we pray that we ourselves would be devoted to these four things, not just one or two of them. Uh, but Father, we pray that we would be devoted and by being devoted, grow to be a family where people genuinely can come and feel like they find in you and find in your people something so satisfying, better than they've ever experienced. Father, we long to see more people added to our number, those who are being saved. So, Father, we pray that you'd help us to stay close to Jesus. Uh, Father, to listen to him, to live like him, to love like him. And, Father, we pray this for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.